Welcome to the podcast. I'm Corey. And I'm Brian. And this is the Happy Harvest Horror Show. Every week we talk about all things spooky. And we got a really spooky one today that didn't start spooky, but got real spooky. (laughs) (laughs) Became spooky. (laughs) In the end, it was the spookiest thing of all. (laughs) It's true. It's true. Yeah. Before we dive into today's topic, Brian, how spooky was your week? Really spooky. Uh, I had a lot of stuff. I, I, I've i been reading this book called A Clown in a Cornfield. Sounds terrifying. <laughs> yeah, you might not like this one then. I just think that the title and the concept is pretty fun. It's kind of about YA, but it doesn't read like that at all. I feel like that's sometimes calling a, a book a YA is giving it like a bad disclaimer, but I don't think that's real. I think books are books. I agree. I think there's definitely some uh, stigma of like YA, which is kind of silly. Yeah, but I'm I'm only basically 100 pages into this and it's just getting fun. And it's got like all my horror heroes recommending it on the back too. So I'm like, okay, I'll check this out. And it's really fun so far. I watched a few movies on Shudder. I saw Anything for Jackson. Have you heard about this movie? No. Oh, man. It's all about this elderly couple. This isn't a spoiler. happens in the opening scene. But they kidnap a pregnant woman to do a reverse exorcism to bring back their grandson that passed. Okay. Put their grandson's soul into the body of this unborn baby to get Yes. There. Yes, obviously. And it gets more crazy from there, if you can believe <laughs> it. <laughs> okay. So that was like a kind of a dark, shocking, like, ooh, this is a movie's a setting but i enjoyed it i thought it was i thought it was wild uh and speaking of another wild i saw a promising young woman this last weekend too have you heard anybody talking about this no oh my gosh came out at sundance last year took a year now we're now it's releasing a vod and it is fucking shocking sells itself as kind of like this rape revenge sort of story with carrie mulligan where she's goes to clubs and bars and pretends to be drunk and about to black out and men take her home to try to rape her um and then she like flips the switch and like you know that's what it sells itself is like this really oh man yeah we're gonna get these fucking assholes and i mean first of all trigger warning like this movie is like gets dark and the ending is super polarizing. I had like just obsessive conversations for days about this movie's ending and I don't want to spoil anything more about it, but like it is certifiably a good movie. It's like a great movie that and an ending is, it is an ending. So <laughs> uh, check this movie out. But um, that was my spooky week. How about you? What do you got? What do you got? Is anything spooky? Okay, so I've been meaning to bring this up actually for weeks. It's just something I want to give a shout out to. And this is a very cute spooky, a very family friendly spooky. Cute spooky. Cute spooky. I feel like this show is so underrated. I don't know anyone else who's watched it. But have you watched or heard of Hilda on Netflix? No. 
It's so cute. There's two seasons of it, and it, it's a kids show. It's a cartoon. It, I think, more older kids. It's it's a little too spooky, maybe for like really young kids. But okay. it's a cartoon. To me, it's got very like almost like Adventure Time vibes, only like a cozy witchy version. <laughs> Amazing. It's so cute and cozy, but also it's got like all of your monsters, you know, it's got witches, it's got ghosts, it's got trolls, like it's got saying all the right things. Yeah, it's got all the fun, spooky characters. But yeah, it's like the main character Hilda is this young girl and she's very like precocious and adventurous. And yeah, it's just super cute and so cozy and the colors are great and the theme song is by grimes i love grimes like it's just everything about it is just lovely so not anything scary but if you want just something like cute and cozy but fun and spooky watch hilda super underrated i'm glad that you brought that up because after my three like here are three like really bleak (laughs) yeah (laughs) yeah recommendations for Ice Mountain Wake. I think I need that. I think. Yeah, it's exactly. It's the complete other end of the spectrum. I I think you'd like it too. And then also I watched, which I loved, I watched Gretel and Hansel. I loved Gretel and Hansel so much. And I was floored leaving that theater that critics were not universally loving it too. I didn't get it, but I, whatever. I thought it was amazing. I thought it was such a great fairy tale of a movie. Mm -hmm. I loved the new focus on Gretel. Yes. And that sort of like witch becoming story. I thought the music was dope. Oh my God. The the look of it. Beautiful. I I could just rave about that movie all day. I I feel like if you put up, if someone would have put the words A24 before that movie, I think people would have loved it. I don't know. Yes. And it was also, it was rated PG-13. So I think maybe that was like, but one, it's fucking scary. Like it is not. <laughs> I mean, it's messed up. Yeah. There's like some pretty wild things in there. It, it's fucking dark. Like uh, don't be fooled by a PG-13 rating. In certain ways, it totally reminds me of like The Witch, you know, like mm-hmm. it has, I would definitely put it in that lineage for sure. Yeah. And yeah, it's like a new twist on this classic fairy tale, which like, let's be real. What what else are fairy tales for? Like, that's what we're supposed to like. You're supposed to take these iconic stories and use them as templates for like new ideas. And that's totally what this film does. Beautifully shot. I loved all of the scenes that were in that like uh, weird, tall, like white room. In that like basement down there. Yes. Oh, man. So cool. So beautiful. Cool. And then also just the I mean, it's basically a like it highlights ideas of power, really. Mm-hmm. Like power through femininity, power like power for women, but power through magic as well. You know, it's like I, I love that it really kind of brought to the table this like perception of magic and witchcraft as as a power but a responsibility as well and how power can go very dark and that that is that is a path you know like that is a path and that is a path (laughs) chosen but that there are also other paths yeah no, I think you're saying all the right things. And I think the movie was much more interested on that than, I mean, I would I would still put it in the horror category because there's horror imagery and some pretty grotesque stuff, but yeah. it, it's not, I, there's one critique that I saw that I agree with that 
I was never afraid for Hansel and Gretel, if that makes sense. I, I knew they were in a, in a place that the witch might kill them, you know? The movie was less interested in, like, a cat and mouse game with the kids and more interested in exploring these, like, paths these kids could grow up doing. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Which, I, I don't know, I thought it was really smart. I thought it was very contemplative and sweet and very cool. Very cool. Yeah. I totally agree. And also the the witch is terrifying. Oh, so scary. It's like black inky fingers, you know? Oh, like, I know. But I also loved her. Like, is you know, it's that like complicated mm-hmm. thing. Like, I'm like, I love this woman, but also fuck, you know? <laughs> like, yeah. I totally agree. I, I really enjoyed it. I'm going to watch it again. I loved the whole vibe. I think, yeah, I think it's a really interesting movie and y'all should watch it. I agree. Have you seen his other movies, Oz Perkins? No. He's, well, if anyone doesn't know, I have a history about Oz Perkins here. He's the son of Anthony Perkins, who you know is Norman Bates from Psycho. Look at that lineage. Boom, right? And so he's made a couple movies. One was actually an A24 movie, Black Coat's Daughter, which stars our own Sabrina. Not our own. We don't own Sabrina. But... (laughs) 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 all right you had your fun on netflix but you're canceled get on back home sabrina is trademarked right and he also did a netflix movie called i am the pretty thing that lives in the house i think it's called it's very much about the kind of grieving process of losing losing his parents which if i'm not wrong he lost his parents very close to each other which was very tragic but anyway i'm on an oz Perkins tangent. I'm just saying that all his movies are worthwhile than watching. He's got a very poetic style to him. And I want to see whatever he does. Because he's he's three for three for me. I love him. Yeah, I would definitely look more into him because I very much enjoyed Gretel and Hansel. Yeah. That was a pretty spooky week. You know, that's spooky. <laughs> for January, we're doing pretty good. We're doing all right. (laughs) Uh, Got a new president. Thumbs up. Yeah. (laughs) That feels nice. (laughs) It's real nice. I did see on the day of the inauguration, Halloween Kills released a new screenshot of Michael Myers coming out of the burning house. um, (laughs) And people were already commenting of like, you you knew what you were doing. You released the image. (laughs) fucking crazy maniac leaving a white house <laughs> the day of the inauguration I tip my hat too and can't you wait. know what you're doing yes <laughs> um, oh. yeah i also posted on our on our instagram story i was posting some of my favorite more spooky variations of the bernie sanders at inauguration oh, meme yeah. mm-hmm. because as we all know the bernie sanders at inauguration meme has uh, taken the internet by storm in oh, a way that I fire. have never <laughs> oh, seen before. <laughs> it's everywhere. It's amazing, but it's everywhere. I want to know how Bernie feels about that. Like, I'd like to hear his thoughts. On... I feel like the meme itself is probably how he feels about it. I know, right? We're focusing on the wrong things here. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> exactly. I love him so much. <laughs> Oh, my God. So oh, good. but so good. if you have a favorite spooky variation of the Bernie meme, shoot shoot it over to us at Happy Harvest Horror Show and uh, we'll repost it. Okay. We are talking about the Ouija board. You know it? You love it? Well, you might love it. Some people really have, have very strong feelings to the contrary about it. 
my late <laughs> grandfather. He did not like this board. I got some stories from talking about that. That <laughs> does not surprise me at all. <laughs> Very angry about that. But before we get into why my grandfather was so upset, uh, let's take a little break for ads. Let's get that in here real quick. before. Yeah, we, uh, and then we'll come back and we're going to talk about the Ouija board, also known as the Ouija board, whatever, pronunciation. You do you. <laughs> When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. We have returned. Welcome back. Thanks for sticking around. Okay. I'm really excited about this episode. I have a lot of information because there's a lot of information out there's there. so much information out there. Sometimes we really have to like, it, it's hard looking for info on some of the topics we choose. Mm-hmm. But this one, uh, the internet was like, yeah, here is the entire bibliography for real for real and i and i think it probably has a lot to do with what a iconic thing it is in our lives like it was super iconic in the 90s but it was it's been iconic through most of modern american history honestly Mm -hmm. and and we'll get into that but i think that's partially why Mm -hmm. it's something that's so easy to find information on well probably yeah it's famous today for a specific reason but it was famous before for like an opposite sort of like happy reason you know like it was it's a popular game full stop it's an incredibly popular thing so just to kind of a a quick breakdown if you're not familiar if you've never come across uh ouija board before or you haven't had the pleasure of playing with one. It is the most well-known version of what is called a, quote, talking board. Mm -hmm. And the purpose of the board is to basically be able to talk to spirits, dead people, angels, demons, energies, whatever. It's a kind of medium to allow you to have conversations with things beyond the veil. Right, exactly. And it's done by, we have a, it's a board, that has the entire alphabet uh, and underneath numbers one through zero, one through nine and, and zero. And then at the bottom, goodbye, top left, the word yes, and top right, the word no. And the participants will gather around the board, put their hands on a planchette with a little glass in the middle, ask spirits, you know, your, your curious questions. And the selling point of the game is that a spirit will guide all your hands and spell out answers. And that's the game. Yeah. There are actually, I just learned this today. One of them I knew, but I didn't know all three. Apparently, there are three rules to the Ouija board. Number one, never ask when you're going to die. No, no. That information is not for us to know. (laughs) (laughs) So knock it off. (laughs) Number two, I knew this one, never play alone. Right. Don't do it. Mm-hmm. And three, this one really kind of surprised me. Never talk about God. Whoa. Damn. You're not supposed to talk about God with a Ouija board. Listen, don't bring him into this. 
I don't really know what that's about, but interesting. The boards can be mass produced, as many, many are, or they can be handcrafted. And you can even sketch up your own if you are strapped for time and materials if you want. It is not unheard of to pull out a notebook and draw up your own Ouija board. Which my cousins did for me when I was young and scared the shit out of me. <laughs> what are older cousins for if not to if scare not the to shit do. out of you? <laughs> I mean, that's so true. I had a cousin on one side of the family that drew up on notebook paper and we all had a clear plastic cup that we all helped and moved around and they spooked me. You know what I mean? <laughs> And then I have cousins on the other side of the family that showed me child's play too at way too young an age. So cousins, thank you for making me the horror fanatic I am today. Yeah, this, <laughs> is a, this is a cousin appreciation moment. If I had a cousin that just wanted to play catch, you know, just like. <laughs> Maybe you'd be really into baseball right now. <laughs> baseball, or just a cousin that asked me how I was, you know. Maybe... <laughs> nope. Didn't nope. get that. That's too funny. Oh, my God. <laughs> I wonder if I was that cousin to my younger cousins. I definitely was that cousin to my younger cousins. Did you terrorize cousins. them? I didn't terrorize them, but I definitely, there you know. an asterisk at that. <laughs> I didn't terrorize them. I, I, I was never one to terrorize, but I think I was, even as a child, I was just very real uh, and very very all about the blunt truths and so like so like i definitely would put information on the table that maybe younger uh people were not prepared for i think i was definitely that cousin for sure <laughs> just sitting your cousins down smoking a cigarette listen kid Kinda, yeah. <laughs> you better get your affairs in order you're not going to be here forever you know that was definitely me. <laughs> that was definitely me. That's oh, so my God. Good. So history of all this, the Ouija board. Mm -hmm. Much like many of the topics on the show, the Ouija board can easily be traced back to the popularity of 19th century spiritualism. It's always 19th century spiritualism. I know. It's wild. It's wild. However... We can reach much farther back in history for accounts of practices that kind of align similarly, such as automatic writing, mm -hmm. that were similar in purpose. So automatic writing, meaning you're kind of connecting with a spirit and writing their message through you. One source I found mentioned China in 1100 AD as like a specific instance of this, but I truly think this is something that has likely been explored in most cultures throughout history in a various number of ways. Like there have been many ways in which we try to verbally receive messages from beyond the veil. Mm -hmm. So you can go far into history for that. In the early 18th century, talking boards became popular. There were many designs and there were many patents of various designs filed, but it wasn't until 1890 that we got the one that stuck and lived on into present day, the Ouija board. That's the most wild thing I learned in the research for this, that they actually got a patent for this game that like, yeah, this is what it does. Spirits will guide you and tell you the answer. I read a story of how they got the patent and what were their names that was Elijah Bond. Elijah Bond. 
and went to the patent office and showed them the board. And the, I imagine a big mustached skeptic patent man was like, prove it. You prove the board game works and I'll give you the patent. And so he asked them, the Ouija board, what is my name? And the story is they did not know his name. They did the game. It said his name and the patent man was all spooked and gave him the patent. Uh, they could have just as easily <laughs> known the guy's name, but, you know, who knows? But that's how they got the patent, I read. Yeah, so it, it's an interesting thing because I know that there were, like, several versions of talking boards that were patented. Right. So, but for a specific Ouija board. Yeah, like, of course the story of the patent of the Ouija board is, like, spooky. You know what I mean? Like, like that's how lore works, right? Like, we kind of... <laughs> Listen, kid, this is how lore works. <laughs> I know. <laughs> Pulling out my cigarette right now. <laughs> you want to know how Ouija boards get around? <laughs> we got to go back to lore. Oh, <laughs> uh, I'm getting I'm getting red on this episode. <laughs> but I'm not I'm not even saying it might have happened. Like I don't fucking know. I wasn't there. But there were many talking boards that had been patented, but we don't know any of the stories of how they came to be patented, right? But yeah. the Ouija board, the one that like stuck, of course it has like this like whole folkloric story yeah. that's very spooky. It's you know what I mean? Style. You know, this one new show business. Was- exactly. And there's there's even more to that. So you may be wondering, what does the word Ouija mean? So it's O-U-I-J-A. Mm-hmm. Some people say Ouija. Some people say Ouija. Whatever. There are many stories surrounding the name. Mm-hmm. I have three of them. Three potential I've stories as what? to how Ouija came to be the name of this of this board. What's your first story? One is that it was similar to a novelist that Elijah Bond enjoyed. There was a novelist by the name of... Awida. Is that her name? Yep. There was a novelist by the name of Awida. So a D instead of a J. And so some people think there was a connection there. And then there's another story that... The word Ouija or Ouija was similar sounding to an ancient Egyptian word meaning good luck, which also just makes a lot of sense because Egyptomania was a really big thing at this time. There was a lot of aligning yourself with like ancient Egyptian knowledge and connections even between spiritualism and what we were starting to learn about ancient Egypt. Basically, a lot of people were really excited about ancient Egypt. And that was kind of like the place to go to for all knowledge, right? So it would make sense to kind of align the name with ancient Egypt because, yeah, it, it, it was inherently a spooky thing at the time. And then the third and I think most widely circulated was that the board spelled out its own name after being created. Mm. And so they like made the made the board and then it spelled out Ouija and they were like that's it. That's the one. The one other that I saw was that it was a combination of two words meaning yes, the French word yes, we oui, and then the German ja. That's the most boring of them all, but I kind of like that one. (laughs) Yes, yes. (laughs) See, I like that because, and we'll probably get into it a little bit more, but I like the concept of, at its heart, like 
the Ouija board being a communication tool and also a tool for connection, not only a connection between humans and the spirit world, but like a connection between people because you're not supposed to play it by yourself. It's supposed to be a communal activity. So I really personally really like that idea of like the board being about communication and connection on like a bigger scale. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Thinking about it as like words from different languages. I don't know. It's nice. I think it's nice. <laughs> it's nice. You know? It's nice. Okay. I still think the the author one seems like the most likely because the Ouida. Yeah. 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 Who, Who knows? knows? I don't know. Listen, it's, it's spooky. <laughs> so as you probably know, capitalism has been very good to the Ouija board. You can still purchase one just about anywhere from gaming companies like Hasbro. I know Hasbro has a patent on the Ouija board currently. Mm -hmm. When they first came out, it was a huge moneymaker. The company that made it at this point was the Kennard Novelty Company. And they went from one factory to two in Baltimore, two in New York, two in Chicago, and one in London, just churning out board games. Ouija board being one of them. And it wasn't just popular in the you know, the 20th century, 19th century. It was huge when it first came out. This popularity continued into the 1900s, like we said, um, especially in America, where the spiritualism movement, it uh, it connected with the American Christian movement at the time because they, were, they weren't seen as incompatible. We were talking about our, our dead relatives who we already believe are still there beyond the veil. You know, it's not evil to talk to them at this point. It isn't. And it was super saturated to the culture. So much like 1920, Norman Rockwell had a Saturday evening post illustration of just two people communing with the beyond, you know, in their little Love illustration. It. Loved it. And in 1967, I think this stat is wild. 1967, the year after the Parker brothers bought the game from the fold company that had it previously. Two million boards were sold, outselling Monopoly. That's nuts. See, I actually have a stat from 1922 that said like three million Ouija boards were sold. So this is before Ouija is evil. (laughs) It's just a really fun parlor game, I guess, that that people love. And it's selling like nuts. Yeah, yeah. So it was so ubiquitous in the 1920s that it outsold Monopoly. Mm -hmm. The, The classic classic american capitalist board game we were more concerned with talking to the spirits than trying to kick people out of their homes and steal all their money (laughs) bring me back you know (laughs) take me back (laughs) yeah so ouija boards they were very integrated into kind of the american ethos in a certain way and they were very much a a family-friendly activity. It became a popular dating activity after Mm -hmm. some some old-timey advertisements were circulated that depicted it as a great date idea. And I must admit, that does sound like a pretty great date idea. Like, that sounds lovely. Like, a nice dinner and then some Ouija board. I saw a stat, too, that spoke more broadly to the spiritualism movement in general, but it was talking about why it was so maybe another reason why it was so popular and prevalent in culture was that the average lifespan was less than 50 Yes, going into it. That's something I just never really think about that 
I mean, at this time, it was very common. Women would die in childbirth. Children would die of disease. There were wars that were happening that like death was very much ever present. It was always, yeah, it was very ever present at this time. And, and I think that's, that's no small thing to leave out that I never really think about with the spiritualist movement. I would just always thought like, yeah, man, they're really into ghosts then, you know, but like, <laughs> Oh no, it definitely it very um, much a coping thing. I think for all, many people, for sure, for sure. I mean, there were issues with, with various diseases. Also, I was just reading today and it was connecting to the American spiritualism movement, specifically the civil war, right? Right. We yeah. lost tons of people to the Civil War. Like every family was losing people to the Civil War. And then into the 1900s, you have World War One, you have World War Two. you know, you, these mass extinctions of people, basically. Yeah. That definitely led to people just having more of a connection, an everyday connection with death. And also, yeah, yeah. seeking more connections with with being able to feel like they could be with their loved ones again, you know? So that is an incredibly important thing to remember. Death was thought about very, very, very differently at that time. It was the way it was a part of people's lives was very, very different than what it is now. Right, right. World's different. (laughs) So to do something like this as a family activity, it's not necessarily the scary thing. It could really just be like, hey, we're going to, we're going to connect with Uncle John or whatever tonight. Yeah. And and that's nice. Like, that's a nice thing. And that's nice. That's nice. <laughs> it is a nice thing. It was marketed as a very family-friendly activity. And then it was, like, marketed as a kid-friendly activity. This is an interesting thing to try and chart because... We have a few different events here. First, I'm going to kind of jump into the future, and then I'm going to go back in time again. So (laughs) I know we're just jumping all over the place. So in 1800s, early 1900s, really like through the 50s, it's a very family-friendly activity. It's something you do on a date. It is not necessarily a spooky thing. There are stories of like more spooky Ouija board times, but it's not necessarily what it's all about right the connotation with ouija was not uh uh-oh instrument of evil you know exactly exactly and then i'm gonna skip super far ahead i'm gonna go straight to the 90s when we Uh grew up when we were kids and this might have something to do with like the hasbro ouija boards and the fact that we've talked about this on the podcast before we were kind of saturated with like kid-friendly spooky content But like it was marketed as a kid's activity. Like it was like a thing that you buy for your kids along with hungry, hungry hippos. Sure. Yeah. I think it was still was. Yes, correct. It was still that way. I, even then when I was a kid, my grandparents were very upset about it because there was already, especially in the Christian eyes, it had already been tainted by a, just a small little movie that came out in the seventies called the exorcist. Where at the beginning of the movie, Reagan is playing with a Ouija board. And that is largely seen in the movie as the catalyst that invited the de- demon in. So this movie, it's so funny how these one movies will completely change the zeitgeist uh, around anything. Kind of like Psycho and Showers and Jaws in the, <laughs> the ocean, you know? Like yeah, suddenly totally. everyone will see it immediately different. And so now Ouija board is like, oh shit, the devil. <laughs> Especially... Christian Catholic uh, circles were very hesitant about, especially my grandparents that (laughs) when heard that my cousins had a board and they were very cavalier about it, my grandfather flew 
to throw that border game away. He was wow. so upset. Um, wow. So yeah, this fear was real in my. Oh no, the fear is incredibly real. And yeah, that was an interesting thing in researching this. I had completely forgotten that a Ouija board was what led to the exorcist. Oh yeah, it's a whole thing in the beginning. Demon. Yeah, I, I completely forgot about that part. Like I remember all the other stuff, all the other main, you know, the green puke and the power of Christ compels you, obviously. But I totally forgot that it was like all because of a Ouija board. Mm-hmm. So that movie came out in 1973. Correct. And that created a huge backlash among the greater population. Uh, yeah, I would say particularly church going folk. Mm-hmm. The satanic panic of the 80s probably didn't oh. help that. Oh, <laughs> you know? definitely not. Um, mm-hmm. And a large chunk of the population really began to fear the boards and that fear was definitely present in the 90s like i remember it too i remember it being kind of this polarizing thing where people were like oh you don't want to play with ouija boards but at the exact same time they're constantly stocked at walmart i had one i remember many of my friends had them like you know the cheap mass produced versions so it was such an interesting thing i feel like being a kid in the 90s with a ouija board because like it was simultaneously just another kid's game that you're like supposed to have and at the same time you're being told it's very scary. It's very dangerous. <laughs> like, it's like, this is very, very dangerous. Here, have it. And to me, that is like the ethos of parenting in the 90s. <laughs> 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 like, <laughs> like they catch you smoking, they give you the whole carton. <laughs> this is not uh, safe at all, but, you know, uh, take your chances, I guess. <laughs> like, <laughs> oh, my God. Yeah, that was the whole vibe because like, yeah, I definitely had one. Did you have one? No, no, I was I was so scared. Your grandpa would have burnt it. No, <laughs> and that story I told just a minute ago with my cousin, that was in the basement of my grandparents house. And that was like a rebellious sort of activity. Oh, definitely. All hiding in the basement. Like, did you hear grandpa did this? Well, we're going to make our own. Um, and then. <laughs> Fucking scared little redhead Brian, just like no. Uh, so, yeah, and that's a that's a fear that is still kind of there. We were being told that that's how possessions work in the Catholic Church. You you can't yep. get possessed unless you invite them in. Yeah, that is exactly textbook what the board is doing. You were inviting in my wiring of my brain. I'm like, <laughs> the only way to get possessed is inviting them. So you know, even if it's not true, maybe just. Don't mess with it. <laughs> Maybe just don't. Yeah. So it's it's important to once again state that like the exorcist really was one of those big cultural moments that created that shift because prior to the exorcist, Ouija boards were really just this activity to like talk to your dead relatives. And then after the exorcist, Ouija boards were much more seen as the potential for demonic possession, right? The demons enter the chat with the exorcist and then it really shifts 
and makes it this super polarizing thing. But right. the Ouija board did not go away at all. No, 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 no. The thing with polarization, the way it works is like when people start to fight against something, well, you're going to have a equal and opposite reaction, right? So mm-hmm. you brought up the satanic panic, which we will... 10,000% do an episode on not only an episode, I think we'll do a series. I have so much to say about the satanic panic, mm-hmm. but the satanic panic of the eighties is a perfect example of how it, it has an equal and opposite reaction where you're going to have people that lean more into it, right? Like, Oh, you're telling me this is a tool of the devil. Well, I fucking love the devil. Like it turns <laughs> it right. into a battle at that point, which I think leads to the experience we probably had in the 90s of just like, just fucking tell me if I can play with the thing or not. You know? (laughs) (laughs) Right. Oh, man. That, I feel like we are are very much now in a new sort of zeitgeist around it that it's now cool again to have one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Especially after the popular, it's so popular that now we have two movies that are just specifically universal wide release movies that are specifically about the Ouija board. Um, We have a new wave of horror excitement, you know, I think you probably go on Kickstarter and you could probably find like 12 different people that are making authentic wooden crystals. Yes. I was going to say that though. Like also, you know, we are in the age of like Etsy handcrafted, handcrafted Ouija boards. Like give me one of those. Like they are so cool. (laughs) Listen, I've got one on my wall. I got (laughs) not a Ouija board, but I have a a wooden carved planchette that this artist, Jessica Hardesty, she does such a great work. Look her up on Instagram because she's fucking awesome. But I, I do. I have one. I'm looking at it right now. There's a planchette right there that like it is now just part of the decoration of the time. And it's also it's a symbol, right? Like we see it, I think, very much as as a symbol of something much bigger than just this this tool for possibly talking with spirits or this gateway for possibly allowing in demonic possession like it's also just a symbol of a lot more about history and about the occult and like it represents something now. And so now I think, yeah, I, I totally agree. It has taken on a much more layered meaning. Oh yeah. But how, how does it work? Let's transition to that because we're talking a lot about spirits are the ones doing it, but there's, there's a lot of research done that, there's something maybe more interesting happening. This is an interesting conversation. So some point to what is known as the psychological idiomotor effect. Mm-hmm. And this is basically an unconscious movement, an unconscious physical movement that occurs. And personally, I think this factor can be approached a lot of ways, but I think sometimes it's approached in a way that is kind of a cop-out answer because one can argue that if like you're channeling a spirit of some kind, then that is something that is occurring unconsciously or semi-consciously, right? Mm-hmm. So like to say like, oh, we have a scientific answer. It's happening unconsciously. I mean, it's a scientific answer, but it isn't really a full answer because the unconscious depths are so, so unknown, you know? And so- Big question mark. That's a big- Exactly, a big question mark. So do I think the psychological 
idiomotor effect is a thing, 100%. I like science. I think science is dope. But I also think that there are a lot of these situations where someone gives a scientific answer, but then they don't give time or energy to the fact that the scientific answer is incomplete. Like the scientific answer still poses more questions. Like just because you give a scientific answer to something, all that means is that you gave a scientific answer to something. It doesn't mean that the thing is solved or explained or tied up in a pretty little bow. Right. So I love, I like the science. I like that there's kind of a scientific explanation, but still at the end of the day, if you feel like you're someone who can channel spirits, like that would be an unconscious thing that would lead to what is being labeled the psychological idiomotor effect. So I, I feel like it's both. I feel like we have both things happening, but yet people want to be like, like I watched this video on YouTube. I watched a lot of videos on YouTube for this episode. And yeah. one of them was like a Vox video. And mm-hmm. I do like the things that Vox does, but the dude in the video was just like really salty and he had a very superior attitude about the whole thing. And it just came across kind of lame. I was yeah. like, don't be like that, bro. Which I think is, is more interesting is that uh, the basis of all these scientific conclusions is there's something with the subconscious that's that's pushing these yes. micro yeah. you know movements that are guiding the board. But that's... That asks a more interesting question about our subconscious that I, there's this one research that I saw in the Smithsonian magazine that I was reading during research that there's this guy, Don, Dr. Ron Rensink, he's a professor of psychology, and he ran this experiment where he was asking people questions that they didn't know. And he would have two different settings. He would ask them, ask them to verbally answer the question. And then he would um, ask them using a Ouija board to guess. And if he asked, when he asked them the question verbally, they were right only about 50% of the time. But when he used the Ouija board, the answers correctly went up to 65% of the time. And that there is a connection that he found in this study that when you bring in the subconscious, you're a little more instinctual, I guess, or mm-hmm. why are we, when we're using this Ouija board that takes the subconscious more into play, are the answer rates suddenly 15%? better. I think about a lot of things in in life that when you go kind of on autopilot, you perform better. Mm -hmm. And I think this might be another one of them. So I think it is a cop out to say like, oh, it's just micro movement. It's your finger in your hands. But I'm like, well, no, I think this is bigger, much more interesting question of like, why? Why is that our subconscious is when we're channeling that radically different, not radically, but like much different results. Yeah, no, that's super interesting. Like, yeah, I love I love science like that. I love those kinds of experiments cuz exactly, it's trying to it's trying to look at the question in a in a more nuanced light, right? Like right. it's it's asking the bigger questions and it's like because yeah, exactly, that points to there being some kind of knowledge that was not accessible consciously, right? Yeah, so if this exactly. board can allow that like we don't we don't really know what that means like that's still like that that in itself is a very spiritual thing maybe it's not as clear-cut as like oh like you're talking to your grandmother but like maybe you are connected to some channel of other information you know like you have to be open to the 
to the gray area and not just like shut things down that you don't understand with scientific answers that don't actually answer the question. But on the same token, and that speaks to the popularity of the Ouija board is that gray area that unknown is very attractive. It's very seductive. And usually when they're seeking to speak to someone from beyond the grave, it's coming from a very vulnerable place. I mean, Mm -hmm. I, um, if, if you don't mind, I have this book of essays that I just got called Be Scared of Everything, Horror Essays. And it's just a collection of all these different topics. And there was one on the Ouija board. It's a really cool little book. And there's and the essays are like kind of like two, three pages. They're pretty short. But when they're talking about the Ouija board, I thought this was a really interesting way of looking at it of, of when people go to a Ouija board, they're looking to fill blanks, right? They're looking to, mm-hmm. for answers that could very much change our way of thinking or our narratives around the the subjects that we're asking about. Just reading from the book here, it says, what if using the board irresponsibly, we summoned an adversary that used our narratives to warp what connection remained between us and our dead relatives, severing us from our intergenerational sense of identity. And in the end, is the demonic intervention better or worse than an alternate explanation that we tortured ourselves with guilt and regret? Within us or without us, our narratives seeped through the empty space between the characters on the Ouija board, forcing us to square with the deepest human vulnerability, questioning. Raw, with renewed grief, we were ready to believe anything. So we followed the hissing plastic planchette as it reanimated our dead grandmother one letter at a time. I just think that's like both answers are like kind of scary, you know, that one, (laughs) like, yeah, evil demon that's maybe twisting and and tricking us and and giving us answers that may or not be true. Or is it just us going into this board and with these, the subconscious micro movements, are we kind of giving ourselves answers that we know aren't true? We're guessing, but we're believing, you know, it's basically torturing ourselves in a way. But I I just thought that was really fascinating. Yeah, I think, I think it's super beautiful. And I think it also points to yeah the the main idea like the main thing anyone is doing in interacting with the Ouija board like my instinct is that it really and this is my instinct when we talk about any of these topics like I I kind of talked about this on our haunted art episode but I believe that like fear is an unbelievably powerful force and if you yeah. want to believe that something is scary, then it is scary. Yeah. And that objects are imbued with the powers that we give them, both individually and collectively. And I think things like demons, like, I think it really kind of comes down to whether you believe in it or not. Like, if you sure. really think that you are at risk of being possessed by a demon. That's going to be a, a pretty scary game to play. Yeah. Exactly. I think you're up in your chances of being possessed by a demon, honestly. <laughs> you're going to believe it, yeah. But if you're someone who doesn't really believe that those uh, nefarious forces work that way, then it it isn't so scary anymore, and it's not it's not really on the table as possible because of your perception of the event, right? Like, yeah. if your perception of the event is, like, the ultimate knowing, then if your perception is filled with thoughts of like demons coming through and possessing you, that is undeniably going to affect you unconsciously. Sure. I think there is a lot to be said about perception and the power that we give an object. Mm -hmm. And it gets 
really murky and wild when you think about how much our beliefs and our fears affect us unconsciously. And that connects back to what we were saying with like the psychological idiomotor effect and the unconscious movement and all of that. It doesn't mean right or wrong. It just means what you take in and what you give attention to and what you believe is affecting your unconscious environment. Not that we fully understand what the unconscious is. So yeah, just to kind of, that was a lot of big words, but um, like, I think your grandpa was really in his perception and in his his reality, he was doing a good thing. He was like protecting his grandchildren and, you know, good for him. That's beautiful because that was his reality. And I think that's an important thing to remember with these boards. I, yeah, I also don't think it's as easy as just being like, I really get frustrated when it's like, when people just try to simplify it. Oh, it just isn't real. Like, okay, well, what the fuck does real mean? Like, you know, it's a really simplified way of looking at things that I don't think benefits anyone. It is, I think when you look at it historically, an undeniably powerful object Now, what that power represents or how that power operates in your experience, I can't say. Because, I mean, whether you believe it or not, it still represents two sides of the same, like, existential coin of, like, does the game uh, Mm -hmm. work because of the big empty, the the big void of unknown um, of the afterlife and that we're seeking answers in it? Or is it because of the the chasm of unknown in the human subconscious, you know, that it's, it's, it's tapping into a big game of question marks that we're all just moving a little planchette around. (laughs) Just doing our best. (laughs) Just doing our best, you know? (laughs) We're all just doing our best. (laughs) (laughs) I have a, a couple of fun stories involving uh, the Ouija board and uh, creativity that I really enjoy. One of which I love this and I can't believe I didn't know it until today, but Alice Cooper got his stage name from an encounter with a Ouija board. He apparently communicated through a Ouija board with a 17th century witch named Alice Cooper. And that is where he got his stage name. And I already loved Alice Cooper. But if that is not the most baller shit you have ever heard. (laughs) That is now the second story I've heard about the name for Alice Cooper. The other one was that um, that's the band's name, Alice Cooper. So when he became the personality Alice Cooper, he pays royalties every year for the name Alice Cooper. It's like a website domain. He's got to pay every year. (laughs) I like that. Alice Cooper was my first concert. Really? Damn. I was like seven years old. (laughs) (laughs) That's pretty baller, though. That's awesome. And then the other story I have, a woman by the name of Pearl Coran wrote six novels and hundreds of poems in the early 1900s, which were channeled through a Ouija board. She claimed to be in communication with a spirit by the name of Patience Worth. Oh. Yeah, yeah. It's something like I read about it today and I was like, oh, I've heard of this. So I know I've like heard of it before, but I just didn't know very much about it. And there's a really good quote here. It's very beautiful. It's very, very early 1900s. Yeah. So on July 8th, 1913, the board seemed to be possessed with unusual strength and communications from Patience Worth. Patience Worth began 
Many moons ago I lived. Again I come. Patience worth my name. Wait, I would speak with thee. If thou shalt live, then so shall I. I make my bread at thy hearth. Good friends, let us be merry. The time for work is past. Let the tabby drowse and blink her wisdom to the fire log. When asked when she lived, the dates 1649 to 94 were given, and that her home was across the sea. Mm. So all that information was apparently given through a Ouija board. But it's very beautiful. It's very poetic and very spooky. <laughs> like if I ever am a spirit and someone's trying to communicate with me and they're like, where are you from? Like I'm 100% going to be like across the sea. Across <laughs> the sea. Like, it's so beautiful. Like now I really want to read like some of these novels and stuff. It's very, I love shit like this. Like I love the intersection of like spirit and creativity and the concept of channeling artistic work, you know what I yeah, mean? Like yeah. it coming through you in some way. That is my jam. So I really like these stories. I like these stories because I feel like they serve creativity. And at the end of the day, it doesn't really matter. You know what I mean? Like it's yeah. like no one's no one's being harmed. No one is being harmed by Alice Cooper and naming his band after a 17th century witch, like no one's being harmed by these books that Pearl Coran wrote. Mm -hmm. And if it was some kind of spiritual inspiration, like that's dope. Like that's great. You know? So I am 10,000% on board with using the Ouija board to creative ends. (laughs) Like, please do that. Oh yeah. You got it. It begs the question too. Like that is the world's slowest typewriter. If so, I know, right? Whole novel through a Ouija board. Like, man, can you imagine? And then I also, I mean, how many of these do we really want to get into? I have some. I have some stories. Just like I think any spiritual ideology, when taken too far, can like really fuck with your mental health. (laughs) And there are many, many reports of people either becoming obsessed or experiencing panic or paranoia and you bet there have been murders that have been blamed on Ouija boards so this is where we get into the waters of like okay like obviously in this case Ouija board not so great you know (laughs) you know it's it's pretty upsetting. Yeah. It, it does. I mean, it's a pretty good rule of thumb. Like, ask yourself, like, did this thing cause a murder? Okay, then it's that's probably no good. <laughs> like, probably no good. So when things cause murders, they're not great. Um, but... <laughs> <laughs> and you can take that to the bank. <laughs> so I have a few of them. There's a I won't read all of them. There uh you can literally Google it, like you know, Ouija board murders, you'll find all kinds of stuff there. There was one that was like top 10 crimes connected to Ouija boards. So like, <laughs> I hate that shit. The true crime fascination in general just makes me so uneasy. Top 10 Ouija kills. You know, I like know, that, right? ugh, yeah, you know, how do we turn this into a listicle? Yeah. <laughs> right? Like, come on. Um, but I, I've got a couple of them that I will, I will talk about. So as recently as 2001, a, 53-year-old woman fatally stabbed her son-in-law while he slept 
because the Ouija board told her to do it. It apparently told her that he was evil. And I guess it also told her that her 10-year-old granddaughter was evil. So after killing her son-in-law, she went after her granddaughter with a knife. And then the mother had to, like, wrestle it from her. So, like, the granddaughter didn't get killed. And apparently it was, like, really really weird, too, because this woman had no history of mental illness, was not on any substances, like, nothing. Like, literally just fucking cracked like just like like the ouija board center over the edge so you know not great it's not great and that was what 71 is that what you said no 2001 oh no yeah dude <laughs> i thought you said 70 i heard 71 i'm like that was even before the exorcist so that's even i think if it was before the exorcist i feel like that would have even been spookier because we don't have the connotation around it maybe in that I have one from. Uh, oh, no. Uh, oh no! Oh no! <laughs> uh, from 1933, mm-hmm. Dorothea Irene Turley was using a Ouija board with her 15-year-old daughter Maddie Turley at their home in Arizona. Dorothea was using the planchette, which spelled out a message instructing Maddie to kill her father, no. thereby freeing Dorothea to marry a young cowboy. She also told her daughter that the board could not be denied. So obedient to her mother and the board, Maddie walked up to her 48-year-old father and shot him twice in the back. Jesus. Cowboys and Ouija. Don't mix. Yeah, I know. That one, I think that was pretty clear. That was all on Dorothea. <laughs> Dorothea had ulterior motives. She was trying to get with that young cowboy. It's pretty clear. Whatever was going to get him the cowboy. And she she chose violence. Let's see. Oh, and then I wanted to talk about this one because this isn't necessarily this isn't a murder caused by Ouija board. So this was in 1994. A convicted murderer by the name of Stephen Young, and I don't know anything about him or his case. Like maybe he did do it. I don't know. So he was convicted for this murder, and then he was granted a retrial because the jury in his original case consulted a Ouija board. Before finding no. him guilty. <laughs> that isn't a retrial. Um, holy shit. I had the exact same reaction. Unbelievably not cool, you guys. No, like, no, no, no. You no. cannot be doing that shit. Like, I'm going to say that, like, strong right now. Whatever the fuck you believe in. Like, this is an occult example of the need of, like, separation of church and state. Mm-hmm. Do not fucking bring that shit to a trial. Like, it's not okay. Like, the justice system should be built on hard facts and evidence and critical thinking. Do not. Do not. <laughs> like, <laughs> like, that shit makes me so mad. But anyway, he got a retrial, and I think he was still convicted. It doesn't matter. Just don't do it. Just <laughs> don't fucking do it, you know? <laughs> that is Absolutely not the not. time nor the place, my friends. And then I've got one more, just one more quick one. And this one's not murdery either. This one's just kind of wild. In November 1989, six U.S. Army intelligence analysts, all with top secret security clearances. So these are like... <laughs> People with a lot of power in our military. They started experimenting with the supernatural while stationed in West Germany. 
And they dabbled in everything from tarot cards to ESP. But according to analyst Vance Davis, they only had any success with a Ouija board. When they used the Ouija board, they were contacted by a number of spirits who supposedly predicted events like an earthquake in Iran and the Gulf War. In May 1990, the Ouija board started to tell the analysts that they should begin preparing for Jesus's return because the rapture was going to happen within the next five years. When that proved difficult to do while in the military, the board told them they should leave and, quote, things would work out. (laughs) (laughs) So (laughs) everything's going to be a okay. So on July 3rd, all six intelligence officers went AWOL and boarded a flight from Munich to Atlanta. They made their way to Gulf Breeze, Florida, which is known for its UFO sightings. They were hoping to meet with a psychic friend who lived in the area. As we all know, the rapture did not happen within five years. And um, they ended up getting dishonorably discharged from the army. I wonder why. You know, I just what I love a lot of things about this story. Like I like what a tale. I really love it. And I'm kind of like, I hope they're doing well. Like, I hope all of those guys are doing great. I hope they're living their best life because everything we just talked about with like the unconscious and like the subconscious shit at play. I'm kind of wondering, I'm like, maybe your subconscious was just telling you to get the fuck out of the army. (laughs) Whatever's going to get you out of there. (laughs) Yeah. Like you just didn't want to be in the army. And so the subconscious was like, you need to get out and you need to leave. And it took the Ouija board for you to listen, but you know, whatever worked, like (laughs) whatever works. (laughs) Like I said, I I really do hope the best for them. I hope they're I hope they're doing well. But I think it's a great example of the the tangled webs we weave. Yes. Yeah, to yeah. create to create narratives or to to give us permission to do what we you know. Yeah, totally to give ourselves permission. So once again, I think that one's okay. Now, if it's to give you permission to murder someone, not okay. It's never okay. <laughs> It's never okay. It's never okay. We're going to go hard on that one. We are not afraid to say that it is not okay to murder. We're pretty brave here. But yeah, and then last little thing, I was just like dinking around on YouTube quite a bit because there's so much because the Ouija board is such an enduring symbol. Yeah. And there were lots of vlogs, lots of very very YouTube vlogs involving Ouija boards. But my favorite is I found multiple that were playing Ouija boards outside an abandoned Chuck E. Cheese. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, no. (laughs) Oh, no. That scared something deep. That was. (laughs) (laughs) That really got to you. That really really got to you deep. Yeah, and apparently this abandoned Chuck E. Cheese where, quote, five kids went missing. God damn it. And yeah, it was very typical YouTube vlog style, like, you know, making it very overdramatic when it's really just like two like 19 year old kids like recording shit on their phone. But they do a Ouija board outside of abandoned Chuck E. Cheese at like 3 a.m. It's mega silly. 
also something I would 100% do given the opportunity. <laughs> you couldn't get me within 20 feet of a fucking abandoned Chuck E. Cheese at 3 a.m. Uh, are no. you kidding me? I would no, be there sir. in a second. I would be there so fast. I think that's what's the opposite of hollowed ground. You know, that's like <laughs> that's a damned place. You think that is the portal to hell right there? <laughs> For Brian, if there was ever going to be a portal to hell, I, I didn't realize until now, but it might be an abandoned Chuck E. Cheese. Chester animatronic, just oh man. Oh yeah, he he's still there, just like wandering. Legend is that he's still there today, and if you listen closely at three a.m., <laughs> you can hear him bringing you pizza. Oh man, that's kind of all I had on Ouija. I um, I yeah. for my research, I watched Ouija: The Origin of Evil the movie, um, which is the prequel to the the first Universal release. Ouija. They got awful reviews. That's why I missed it. But the second one was directed by Mike Flanagan, who we know and love for Haunting of Hill House and Haunting of Bly Manor. So I went and watched it. And it's really fun. Really fun, spooky, spook show. If you're looking for like a, man, I just want to have a little spooky good time. Check out Ouija Origin of Evil. I think that was actually really fun. And you do not have to watch the first one at all. But that's, that's yeah, that's, and what I did want to bring up from that movie, though, is that the three rules in that movie were one, you never play alone. Two, never play in a graveyard. And three, always say goodbye. Ooh, I like those better. I think those oh, yeah. are better. Mm-hmm. But I will play in a graveyard. I will 100% play Ouija in a graveyard. <laughs> yeah, I don't know why, but I find that less scary than playing at 3 a.m. by the bench. <laughs> Ouija. But I like, the, I like the always say goodbye, though. That's good. Yeah, that's good. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Could close the circle. Yeah, it gotta close the circle. That's very important. always. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think. I mean, ultimately, obviously, everyone gets to have their own uh, feelings, and we all have our own experiences. I definitely, I have lots of memories of playing with a Ouija board as a kid. I, I also remember it feeling very spooky. Like I remember there being an innate feeling in my stomach of like this is scary. I don't remember anything bad ever happening. So, you know, it was it was very much that that kid, you know, like, oh, we're going to get scared. And it was often at like slumber parties and shit like that was that was my main experience of Ouija board. I do think it's important to keep in mind, like, like I said, I was on YouTube a lot and I found all sorts of videos that run the whole gamut. And like one was titled. Uh, the Ouija board is not a game exclamation point. And like, I didn't even listen to the whole thing, but it was very heavy into the narrative of like, you should only use a Ouija board if you're like a professional medium or like spirit worker, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. It was very like, you need to be very careful and like, okay. But like, it was actually created as a game. Like it was literally a parlor game like it was literally a game like that is the purpose it was created with right that is touching on something i did read though that mediums were not a fan of this or what i read that claimed that mediums were not a fan because it basically they they weren't necessary anymore they were a middleman they're obsolete you know they're like we don't need the medium we can just do it ourselves for sure for sure exactly 
So I wonder if that person is uh, feels threatened by the popularity of by the by the Ouija board by the do it yourself nature of the Ouija board. <laughs> Always that people out there being their own boss so proud. Of them. <laughs> yeah, I just you know all of these things are important. The entire narrative is very interesting, but yes, I do think the origins of the Ouija board. Um, you know, you got to kind of come back to it and be like this, this was literally a game. Um, mm-hmm. It's very similar, actually. And I know we'll do a tarot episode, but I don't know how much you know about the history of tarot cards, but tarot cards were created as a parlor game in really? the world. Same time frame, literally same time frame, spiritualism, tarot cards were a parlor game the same way the Ouija board was. And that doesn't mean it can't be like, spooky or spiritual or any of those things like i think all those things are still on the table but they were meant as a game that was supposed to be used in a space to connect people like Mm -hmm. it's it's not about demon like demonic possession like it really isn't it's it's about yeah maybe connecting with things on the other side of the veil or or maybe finding some kind of comfort in some kind of communication with a deceased loved one, but ultimately things like Ouija board and tarot cards, I think were created from a very, from a good place. So I think that's why I, I really push back on this, like on the exorcist demonic possession narrative, because I think they were created as a tool to help people connect and feel better. And that's nice. Yeah. yeah. And that can be a little spooky, you know, like it can be spooky hey. and it can be lovely at the same time. All, all those things. Just how astrology can be spooky. The cosmic patterns, you know, like you know, <laughs> it's getting the craft here, the old ones, you know, <laughs> um, to live is fucking spooky. Like, let's be real. <laughs> and we're happy you're here because this, that's what this podcast is about. Yeah. But yeah, that's that's all I got. I know there's more. Like there there's lots of good stories out there. We just couldn't fit them all into this episode, but um if you have any good Ouija board stories. Yeah. Spooky, not spooky, funny, terrifying, whatever. Like <laughs> hit us up. Hit us up. Happy Harvest Horror Show at gmail.com. Uh, Instagram at Happy Harvest Horror Show. Oh, also, we forgot to give a shout out to our to our people that are supporting yes. us on Anchor. Gonna run down the list: Erica, Jennifer, Jody, Aaron, and Morgan. Love y'all. Thank you, thank you, thank you so much. Really appreciate all of you. Keeps us going. Big fans of all of you. Big fans. And if you'd like to be a member of this super rad fucking group of people here you can go to anchor.fm slash hhhs slash support and you can throw us your spare change and we would really appreciate it um because it helps us keep going and because we love doing this and we want to keep doing it forever the rest of our lives and then beyond through a ouija board (laughs) yes support support independent creators we appreciate any support you can give. Also, helping us grow our audience is huge. So, like, sharing us, sharing yeah. us on the social medias, telling your friends about us, whatever. You know, sending out a mass email it would be great. Oh, like, <laughs> whatever, whatever you want to do. And I have little threats in there, too. Like, if you don't send it to at least 10 of your friends, you will be possessed. Oh, my God. I love that idea. I'm going to create, yeah, one of those 
throwback emails of like, you have to send this to 10 people and it's really just going to be a promo for our podcast. I could see that backfiring too. (laughs) Or it could be amazing. Like think about it. That actually like, I hate getting spam. It like really makes me very angry. But if I got that from a creator and it was well done, I think I'd respect it. All right. Well, we'll explore it. We'll consult the Ouija board. And see what they think. <laughs> but yeah, thank you so much for your support. If you can write us an iTunes review, that's great as well. And yeah, Ouija boards, man. Spooky stuff. I still don't think I'll ever buy one. Although I like the idea of getting one. I don't know. <laughs> It'll choose you when the time is right, Brian. Just like a deck of tarot? Exactly. All right. Well, thanks, everybody. Thanks for sticking around. And we'll be back next week for another spooky topic on the Happy Harvest Horror Show. Yay! See ya!